All right, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm your host, Cameron Tepidabai. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Quinn. Justin and I have a very special guest, our friend, uh, podcast repeat guest, Brian Kalbrowski from For the Win and Hoops Hype. Brian, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just kind of taking today uh, to recover a little bit. You know, we had pretty much nonstop <laughs> basketball for me uh, since Thursday. And granted, the basketball doesn't stop because the NBA action is really where the uh, where the money is uh, for both the players and for me, I suppose. Um, I've got, uh, you know, a uh, bit of a brain melt after just four days consecutively of constant, constant action. Well, Brian, we invited you on to talk about uh, not just college hoops, but where there might be value with the Celtics second round pick at the 2022 draft. But just because you teased it up, what do you think of the Celtics? Oh, I honestly am really, really high on the Celtics right now. That's what um, we I mean, like I to everyone, hear. Yeah, I think, I think everyone is, but uh, you know, ultimately, this is a this is a very real team. You know, it was starting to come together before the trade deadline in a, in a very serious way, um, where it felt like, wait, Boston kind of has something here. Um, but you know, I think that they've done a really good job right now, especially after the trade, of just kind of assembling a roster of dudes who don't suck. Like for the most part, every <laughs> single player on the team like is a positive impact player. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Tatum has really, really ascended, but you know, the defense with Horford and Williams and Smart and White um, have just been phenomenal. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, Tatum really should be in consideration for first team all NBA, but real all NBA consideration. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be hard as we saw, uh, you know, for a lot of teams to, to be able to guard uh, both Tatum and Brown in the playoffs because uh, maybe you can put, you know, someone like uh, your best wing stopper. I'm one of them, but you you can only, you can only really uh, you know use that guy on one guy. So the other guy can always go off, and and I think that uh, Boston's got a real shot to to go really really far this year. Then again, Ooh. the East is very wide open. The East is exceedingly wide open, and in fact, uh, people who want to hear more about that should listen to our previous episode of the Celtics Lab podcast. And in this episode, we're actually going to get to Jason Tatum's play. We're going to get to the whole Grant Williams Batman thing. But first, Brian, we're going to hop right into the Celtics lab because we want to talk about who might join the Celtics this spring. We have the NCAA tournament full swing, and we're looking at a pretty exciting Sweet 16 field that will resume on Thursday. It's Monday evening as we're recording this. There are a few players that we think Boston fans should keep an eye on. So keep in mind, Boston has just their second round pick the, during the 2022 draft, uh, right now we think it'll go around 52nd overall. But before we begin, just for anyone who wants to sneeze at the second round, here's a list of players that have come in between the 51st and 54th pick in recent memory. Luke Herringodi, Fred Hoiberg, Tremont Waters, Corey Brewer, Kyle Korver, Nando DiColo, Shake Milton, and Mark Blount. So there are role players there are actually quality players and there's just some fun names there that I thought might be helpful for setting the table. So Brian, I'm going to swing it to Justin. Justin has a few players who are still in the sweet 16 that Celtics fans can keep an eye on as things shake out. So Justin, take it away. So one of the challenges, particularly considering I haven't been following college basketball as closely as I usually do this season, 
has been trying to get an idea of where these players might actually turn up. And, you know, some of them uh, we mentioned off air, like Wendell Moore from Duke. Very interesting, has been mocked into the second round. Uh, can, you know, be assumed to slide potentially, uh, but not anywhere near that far, if he's even that far to begin with. Now, besides people like that, the things that I was looking for were things that are going to be in need in the future. They're going to need more people who can move the ball. They're going to need more shooting. They already don't have enough now. And you can never have too much shooting. Uh, they're probably also going to need to figure out who they're going to have in the pipeline once Al Horford and potentially even Daniel Tice are no longer around in the the further distant future. So for me, those are the kinds of things that I was looking for. Uh, I'll start with some of the not optimal fits who will still be dancing come Thursday. Uh, one of which would be Arizona's Christian Coloco. He's a pretty good shot blocker, but from what I can see, doesn't do a heck of a lot else besides rebound. Do you have any thoughts on him? Uh, I do. I actually wrote about Christian Coloco today for a story that's coming out. Uh, presumably in the morning for hoops hype about players who um, I actually think improved their draft stock during the tournament so far. Uh, Coloco ranks in the 98th percentile in offensive efficiency um, overall. So definitely when it comes to picking his spots, he, he knows what he's doing. Um, he's definitely not somebody you're ever going to run your offense through, but that's not why, you know, you pick someone like Christian Coloco. Um, but, you know, ultimately he is, I think, one of the best room protectors uh, in the class. I mean, granted, Boston has a, a great one of those already um, in uh, Robert Williams. But, you know, he has done a really, really good job of, you know, not only uh, preventing the teams from scoring at the rim and in the paint, um, but also just sort of taking attempts at all. Uh, Arizona allows 3.8 fewer field goal attempts at the rim for 48 minutes relative uh, from when he's on to when he's off. Um, which ranks in the 88 in the 98th percentile among collegiate big men uh, per my research earlier today. Um, so he's also currently the leader in the tournament in dunking. Um, he's one of just four high major players to have 80 dunks this season and basically had to put back and seal the deal for a win last night. So he also has the second highest box plus minus among all players during the tournament thus far. So the catch-all stats are also kind of high on Coloco and those tend to favor big men in general. Um, but for the most part, uh, I, I like Coloco a lot. Uh, I'm really, really high in this Arizona team. Um, I did a long feature on Ben Mathurin uh, last year, I guess so 13 months ago or so, um, you know, when he was still a freshman and, you know, spoke to him and some of his high school coaches uh, from the NBA Academy um, and just kind of projected his long-term NBA future back in February of 2021. Um, and, you know, he's kind of ascended into real top 10 talent. And uh, I'm also a huge fan of Dale and Terry. Um, so across the board, I think Arizona was a team that I had projected to make the uh, finals in um, my personal bracket. Uh, and had I not picked Purdue to win the championship before the season, I probably would have picked Arizona to win the whole thing. Um, but I want to stick to my guns and say that I got the preseason prediction right, so I went with Purdue. Um, but I think Arizona's got uh, a real real talented roster, and I think Christian Coloco plays a big role in it, and I don't think he'll be available that late in the second round, but we don't know how much of a, of a wielding dealing 
GM we're going to see, you know, in Brad, you know, on draft night, um, because he is so mm-hmm. kind of new in that tenure. Yeah, it's another good point, too. Just because the Celtics don't have a higher pick in the draft this year doesn't mean they're not going to end up with one. We, we saw some some pretty serious movement at the last uh, opportunity that, that Brad had in offseason, so it wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, uh, he's speaking, been more aggressive than we thought, I think. Oh, by far. I, I was just hoping he was going to do stuff compared to almost getting this deal and that deal done as, as Daniel did before him. Uh, Speaking of Purdue, uh, uh, Trevian Williams, if I'm saying his name right, um, he also seemed like there's some questions about whether that three-point shot is real based on his free-throw shooting. But if it is, he seems like a pretty interesting fit for Boston also. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, you know, Brad's a former college coach, and I think he's the kind of guy that, that, you know, values character. Um, You know, obviously we've seen that uh, recently in kind of Boston's draft selections, you know, I think you kind of hear about dudes before the draft who just kind of thrive in that regard. Um, Jalen Brown was somebody who I think a lot of people were raving about um, just in terms of his character alone uh, before the draft. And, and Grant Williams is another guy who fits that mold. Um, you know, not to say that other players on Boston have low character, but, you know, I think that they tend to gravitate towards that kind of a player. Um, and I think Brad, as a former college coach, you know, can, can kind of, uh, have an affinity maybe might have an affinity for like the college collegiate lifers in a way uh, in a way that like maybe you know, someone who didn't go through the college ranks might not um trevion really really took his benching well um he is a, a consummate professional uh, on the sidelines as somebody who went from you know being a centerpiece for that team to not even be in the starting lineup after zach ed got moved into the starting lineup after he'd was seven foot four and dominated for team Canada during the U19s. And, you know, Trevion's played for team USA in the past as well, um, you know, on the FIBA circuit. Uh, and he, he's really been like a, a lifeblood, um, you know, for Purdue's second unit and uh, plays well with Jaden Ivey when they get opportunities too. And, um, you know, he was really kind of uh, the, the instrument on offense that, that helped them go uh, against Texas, you know, scoring 22 points off the bench. Um, and then, you know, so far, uh, just during March Madden's period, he's actually assisted on more than half of the uh, assists recorded when he's been on the floor uh, for the team. And that's not uh, bad for, for a big man, you know, considering uh, he's not their primary playmaker. He's certainly getting a lot of the assists, um, you know, when it's happening. So I really like Trevion Williams. I like the way he carries himself. Um, and I've heard nothing but good things about him. So. Brian, I'm going to hop in because I have only heard good things about our sponsor, betonline.ag. It's that time of year. College basketball is taking center stage, if you haven't taken the hint already. And the tournament is finally upon us. Looking to wager on all the action? BetOnline is the number one spot for all your updated odds and information, along with the great contests, including their very own bracket contest, where you have a chance to take home the top prize. Brian, I'm going to put you on the spot. Our friends at Bet Online have Gonzaga still heavily favored at a plus 225. Um, the next best team uh, is Kansas as a plus 500. At this point, whether or not you're a betting man, Brian, would you take Gonzaga or just take the field? I'll take the field, considering I, uh, I have Purdue and Arizona in my personal bracket. <laughs> I think I have Gonzaga, but anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm not a fountain of information for college basketball, but so far I'm doing okay. Maybe I'm, I'm learning. 
Anyways, head over to the betonline.ag website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code CLNS50 to get started. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting, your favorite Vegas casino games, and it's the fastest and easiest way to wager all popular sports and games. BetOnline, where the game starts. We might as well talk about the Gonzaga kid while we're on it, right, Justin? Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going to go. Andrew, no, excuse right. me if I murder his name, Nembhard. So he, he's got some size, six foot five. Uh, he can move the rock a bit, 5.8 assists per game, shooting 38% from the field. Probably isn't going to be in Boston's range, I'm guessing, with those kinds of numbers. No, I think that Andrew could definitely be in uh, Boston's range. Um, he's a senior. Uh, he's actually a transfer from Florida. Was uh, one of the, the better players just coming out of Canada um, as, a, as a high schooler. Um, and kind of took some time to really get into his stride uh, and kind of still hasn't quite gotten to where he was touted to be. Um, I think that there's a chance he could even go undrafted and be an undrafted free agent, uh, depending on how pre-draft workouts go. Um, I, I really like his game. Uh, he's, he's definitely um, probably top, one of the top playmakers among uh, you know, everybody who's projected to be in this class. Um, you know, also – Assist to turnover ratio is sort of a flawed stat for a lot of reasons, but he does have by far the highest assist to turnover ratio among all of the draft prospects that I track, which is nearly 300 names. Um, and he's also the only player who has an assist to turnover ratio above three among those players as well, um, just among legitimate draft prospects. So uh, he, he's definitely a player who I like uh, a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if he ever, you know, cracks the starting lineup in the NBA, but you know, for uh, a you know, second round pick, if he's able to, you know, be a second unit point guard and kind of uh, almost have like a, you know, like a Tyus Jones type role for uh, Boston that Memphis uses Tyus Jones in, uh, that'd be an amazing pick. And um, I, I don't know if he can necessarily reach Tyus's uh, overall uh, contributions, but, you know, with a, with a high assist rate and a low turnover rate, um, and, you know, a decent ab ability to shoot as well, you know, shooting nearly 40% from three this year. Uh, I, I really like him, and I do think that he has a real chance to be on the board um, when Boston could be picking. That's really awesome. I don't see why you would pass on a guy that, that late in the draft, but if they do, I'm here for it. Uh, the last two guys that I want to talk to you about go to the same school, the Texas Tech guys. Uh, the first of them has a very similar profile uh, to Andrew Nimbard, Nimbard, uh Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, he's six foot six. He shoots about 38% from three as well. Uh, doesn't seem to be as good of a distributor, but I mean, at, at that late point in the draft, if you can find someone who can actually play in the NBA, you're doing good in my opinion. So thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, Terrence is somebody who's tested the NBA draft waters in the past. Um, he's somebody that people had been really, really high on in the past. Um, almost sort of like uh, like a David Johnson. I don't know how close people are following the drafts close enough to understand that reference. But last year, David kind of was a you know predicted potential top twenty pick um, who fell into the second round and uh, was picked up by the Raptors and hasn't gotten too much burn yet this year. But um, you know, I think potentially could uh, down the road. Uh, Terrence to me is is a really interesting guy. Uh, Texas Tech has you know the best events in the country and. Uh, Terrence is, you know, a big part of that in terms of guarding the perimeter. Um, I think when he gets into the NBA, they're going to build him out 
strictly as a three and D guy at first, you know, I don't think that he's going to be handling the ball quite nearly as much, um, you know, as he's doing right now for Texas tech. I don't think that's his best path uh, to success in the NBA. I think his success is going to be as a perimeter defender. And if you're looking for guys outside of the top 25 who, you know, can be real good perimeter defenders in the uh, NBA, Terrence Shannon is obviously one to me that does stand out. Um, He's a real good athlete. Uh, has a great amount of vertical pop. Um, he's somebody who's improved his shooting. Um, he hasn't necessarily made the same uh, year-over-year climbs that you'd like to see out of a prospect. Uh, and I think that, you know, potentially he'd go back for his senior year um, and, and do that. I think his intentions were to do that. But, you know, he had 20-plus and six assists in his uh, first game of the tournament. And then in the second game, minutes weren't as consistent, but – uh, still found ways to shut down Notre Dame's Blake Wesley on the perimeter, who uh, is a projected top 20 pick. And I think Blake went like, you know, one for 10 in that game, um, you know, with Terrence mostly guarding him. So uh, Terrence Shannon is somebody who I think uh, has real potential. And I don't know where his draft stock is right now from teams I've spoken with. It seems to be close to that exact kind of 40s, 50s range. Some have him a little, a little bit lower. Some might have him a little bit higher. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of second round draft picks, uh, he's somebody who I think uh, is at least worth keeping an eye on. Uh, and I think he'll do really well during pre-draft workouts and he's got some good size, uh, you know, not only is in his frame and his, in his height, but in his frame too. Um, and he's a lefty. Um, and I think that's always a fun little quirk too, in terms of just how he's going to build out his game once he gets to the NBA, if he's more of a ball handler. So, you know, as he, as he gets better, he's a man that I'm definitely watching and, um, you know, he kind of has become less the focal point uh, of Texas Tech as everything is uh, continued. But he's also somebody who I can see potentially making a good jump in the NBA. So speaking of their defense, uh, Sam Vecini is a very big fan of Kevin McCuller. Uh, he he takes a whole couple of paragraphs in one of his most recent big boards to to talk about how he might be in terms of the draft process, quote-unquote damaged goods, uh, in that his second half of the season performance after getting some some pretty serious ankle injuries, I think it was, uh, has his stock very, very low, and that he could actually be one of the steals of the draft because of it. Uh, 37% shooter from three before uh, he was injured. Now his shooting is just in the gutter. It's like in the, in the 30s overall, in the 20s for three-point range. Do you think that's a risk worth taking considering that he does have that really good defensive baseline? Yeah. I mean, he's another guy who I think could be potentially uh, be like a, you know, an undrafted free agent, even Um, I don't know uh, exactly where his draft stock is right now, but he's not somebody who really shows up uh, very often on mock drafts or big boards, uh, at least among the ones that I track and I track quite a ton of them. So, you know, if he ends up declaring and, and sticks with it, um, and, you know, does well during free draft workouts, he can definitely uh, make a dent. Um, and I know he's, you know, defended well against the pick and roll, uh, has defended well against jump shots. Um, you know, I know that Texas Tech's defense tends to be better uh, when he's on the floor versus when he's not. Um, and Texas Tech also just has, like I said, like a, a pretty good system defense um, that he has benefited from and also contributes to. Uh, so I really think that, you know, he's going to be someone who needs to uh, show out a lot during, you know, combine invitation and, you know, pre-draft interviews uh, with teams and 
um, you know, during workouts uh, with teams as well. Uh, but, you know, so long as that goes well, I mean, you know, in that range, there are definitely guys who climb up uh, every year. And especially if Texas Tech can, can, can continue uh, to play well during the tournament and get a couple more wins, um, you know, if he's in the final four, he's going to have a lot of eyes on him. And there are executives around the league who tend to only watch, you know, final four and kind of fall in love with guys just from that. Um, so, you know, who knows how, uh, how they'll do over the next few games, but, um, you know, I think in terms of just his defensive, uh, abilities, I mean, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, uh, he, he's, he's played well and, um, he's done a good job of, uh, defending the pick and roll at his size and also, you know, kind of limiting, you know, shots in the paint, um, you know, stopping, uh, things at the rim as well, too. So those are the people I were able was able to uh, isolate in not even close to enough time doing research. Uh, but because I have not been doing the due diligence I should be doing in this year's draft class, I'm sure I missed plenty of people who would be good connectors, uh, good wing depth, good, good potential future, uh, second and third uh, big man replacements down the road. Who could maybe be someone else that Celtics fans could be keeping an eye on in the tourney right now? Well, I mean, in the tourney, I mean, we've gone through a lot of the names. Um, you know, I think another guy who potentially could uh, be a fit in that range for that's still playing as Gonzaga's Julian Strother. Um, he, he's interesting to me uh, as a guy who, you know, is a pretty good shooter at his size. Um, I think that he uh, is able to potentially, you know, add, um, quite a bit of value uh just by being a knockdown shooter like at, at, at six i think seven it's what he is um somebody who i think teams might or the boston celtics might want to take a look at uh is brady manic you know at north carolina uh he's a dude that's been compared to, to larry bird uh before just in terms of how he looks physically uh, nothing more than that but um, he, he, he's shooting 50% from three during the tournament, uh, six foot nine. He scored at least 26 in both the games he's played so far, uh, during the tournament, I think. And, um, you know, he got, he, he got ejected, uh, during the last game too, a little scrappy. Um, you know, he's not necessarily somebody who, uh, is high on my radar right now. I don't think that I have him even, um, as uh, a top 100 guy per se, depending on how the class shakes out. Um, but I think that he definitely as a senior will, you know, be turning pro and I could see uh, him looking good in that uh, Celtics jersey, just considering the fact that he could probably play Larry Bird uh, just in a, in a movie. Um, you know, in terms of other guys who are still playing, um, you know, maybe Jaime Hawkes Jr. from UCLA. Um, I liked him a lot last year during the tournament. Uh, continue to like him this year. A little bit less high on Johnny Juzang. Um, on UCLA, but, you know, still a guy who could be in that range, um, who, who's at least interesting. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there's going to be a ton of guys who are not in the tournament uh, as well, who could potentially, um, you know, make an impact uh, in kind of similar range uh, as well. One of my favorites for that uh, is VCU's uh, Vince Williams Jr. Um, really, really great uh, three and D guy. Not sure if he'll be around uh, at that point, uh, his draft stock seems to be kind of wide right now. Um, but in terms of his defensive ability, uh, I think he's a total lockdown guy. Um, I really, really loved what I saw from uh, San Francisco's Jamari Bouye uh, during the tournament. Uh, phenomenal shot creator. He's a senior, so he'll be declaring. Um, 
Another guy I just kind of like a lot is, is Arkansas's Jalen Williams. I don't think he'll be necessarily available in the second round as sophomore, um, but really great passer for someone his size um, and has been able to be uh, an excellent defender too. So uh, if he's still on the clock, by all means, I would do everything I could to grab him uh, in the 40s or 50s. So um, potentially someone who you know I could even see a team wanting to trade up for if he starts to fall a little bit because it is sort of a big, heavy draft. I have a, a quick question that will bridge the gap to my, my next question. So I don't know much about college players, but I know a good name when I see one. And Cam McGusty, I mean, that is just a phenomenal name. One to another, I might need to get Cameron McGusty's jersey. Uh, it looks like, you know, he's 24. It looks like he tried to play in the NBA before, but the, the bubble kind of threw him off. Anything you can tell us about Miami's Cam McGusty other than that I'm going to be buying his jersey wherever he lands. Why are you so big on the name Cam McGusty? Let me ask you that. Well, Cam to Cam, I mean, there's that. McGusty, okay. I don't know. It's like a, it sounds like a fart joke and like a, a Scottish Lord all at once. I love it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, I think he's not necessarily the best prospect on Miami. For me, that would probably be uh, Isaiah Wong, but he's somebody who, you know, can handle the ball a little bit well in the pick and roll. Um, you know, finish, finishes really well in transition, um, you know, especially as the ball handler, but, you know, decent threat uh, on, you know, the wings and uh, on the trailer as well. And I think that, you know, he, he's had a little bit of trouble uh, creating his own shot in isolation. Um, but as a catch and shoot guy, he's been, you know, quite a bit better, um, you know, decent jump shot, a pretty productive jump shot. Um, you know, he's not, uh, somebody again who shows up on very many uh, mock drafts or big boards that I've seen, um, but he's definitely at least on that radar. And you know, six foot five, you know, he's got the NBA size. Um, you know, he, he's somebody who I think is probably closer to an undrafted free agent right now, uh, but not necessarily somebody who um, you know I think is going to get drafted unless again, you know, continues to show up during the tournament or has uh, a really strong performance, um, you know, during free draft cycle. All right, fair enough. Maybe I'm getting a G League jersey or a, a European <laughs> jersey instead, but I'll keep an eye on them. They make them. All right, so Brian, we brought you on because you're a draft uh, aficionado, but the 52nd pick isn't really the sexiest pick, let's be honest. So let's let's close with this. Uh, again, I don't know much about college hoops. Can you give us a, a quick overview of just the 2022 20, NBA draft, maybe the, the cool parts of it? So the biggest names, uh, players that are moving up your board, maybe things you've heard about NBA teams that may be making moves like your extended elevator pitch for the Springs draft. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting class. To me, it's not quite uh, as top heavy uh, as last year's was uh, in terms of just kind of guys who I felt were sure things. Uh, I looked at last year's top five and I was like, I think I'm going to be betting on all five of these guys. Uh, for the most part. And, and this year, I'm not sure there are five guys I'd for sure bet on, uh, but there are five really good players in this class, um, probably closer to four. Uh, for me, that order would probably be uh, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, and Paolo Bencaro. Um, I really think that AJ Griffin has that potential to be in there too, but he's more of an off-ball uh, player, so he doesn't quite have as much star potential at this point in his development. Um I think that it's really interesting that Shaden Sharp is potentially going to be in this class. He's somebody who, uh, you know, was able to be 
uh, reclassified from the junior class to the senior class or forego his senior year uh, out of Canada because he was doing a post-grad year. Uh, and so he enrolled in Kentucky for the spring semester, but hasn't played at all, uh, played a minute of college basketball, but he was a top ready recruit uh, in his class. Um, so we have, you know, multiple top ready recruits in this class with, with him uh, potentially being in it. And Jalen Duran uh, from Memphis was also a top ready recruit before he reclassified. Um, I think that for me, Chet Holmgren's my number one uh, pretty, pretty solidly. Um, I, I think that he's the most unique player and I really value uniqueness. Uh, he's an incredible rim protector, uh, but he's also just somebody who uh, adds a ton of value as a floor spacer as well. Um, you know, the fact that he's able to shoot as well as he does from three uh, is phenomenal, but he's also literally the, the leader in three pointers uh, for 40 minutes in transition among prospects. So for someone, you know, above seven feet to be leading not only in efficiency, but just total productivity from three uh, in transition is insane. And uh, something that I think is just outstanding about him uh, is he's able to block a shot, take the ball up the floor in transition, hit a jumper from three, uh, just in a way that nobody would even really try in 2K. So uh, I, I tend to tend to got, tend to like guys who can do things that other guys can't do, and um, you know he's one of those guys. Uh, Jabari Smith is phenomenal as well, and um, you know has great size for uh, a, a shooter who's as good as he is. Um, you know, being able to be you know six ten and shoot as fluidly as he does um, is is really really attractive. Um, and I think that Paolo Bencaro, you know, moves really, really well, moves like a guard, also six foot ten. So, um, you know, people might compare him to kind of what Julius Randle was for uh, the Knicks last year and that he's probably the best passer on the Stoop team. Um, I think that, you know, Paolo could have an even higher ceiling than anything Julius has done uh, during the NBA so far. And Julius has had a decent career for himself and has made a lot of money for himself. Um, and then Jaden Ivey, you know, gets a John Morant comparison every once in a while. And that's uh, obviously huge praise for right now, considering Jaw is probably the best young guard in the league, in my opinion. But um, I think for, for me, you know, Jaden Ivey, his ability as a shot creator um, and just his explosiveness towards the basket uh, and his, you know, kind of fearlessness uh, is, is phenomenal. And, you know, he was kind of the, the anchor of the FIBA U19 team that won gold for Team USA uh, for a reason. And, um, you know, I think he's got a little bit of that star flair to him. Um, in a way that uh, maybe some of the other guys uh, don't. But, you know, I think that it's it's probably uh, from there a little bit of a drop-off. Um, but I think that A.J. Griffin is, you know, potential off-ball, uh, you know, perimeter wing, uh, has, has some real potential. Uh, ben Mathurin has looked great recently. Uh, Keegan Murray out of Iowa had a phenomenal season. Sort of a rough showing in the tournament, but still a phenomenal season. Um, I love Jeremy Sokan on Baylor. I think he's one of the most versatile players who can just do uh, so much, uh, you know, and he doesn't need the ball in his hand to do it. Um, you know, phenomenal freshman season. Uh, and there's some other unique guys too. David Roddy at Colorado State, Orlando Robinson at Fresno State, uh, kind of untraditional dudes, both of them juniors. Uh, not sure how um, much love they're going to get during the pre-draft process. I have them both as first round grades on my big boards, but um, I'm definitely curious if they're going to go back to school or, or kind of turn pro. David Roddy um, is, a, is a thicker guy who, uh, you know, doesn't really look like a basketball player, um, but has kind of uh, managed to have that 
uh, Jokic like Ascension anyway during college basketball this year in Colorado. So uh, I really, really like him probably uh, almost too much, but excited to see what he does in the NBA. Cool. That was better than I could have <laughs> ever hoped for. <laughs> um, Brian, we can't thank you enough. You make us sound smart come draft season because you just tell us what we need to know. Um, and if you want to find more Brian's stuff so that you can sound smart during draft season or any season, uh, head to For the Win or Hoops Hype. That's where you find Brian Goborowski's work. Brian, pleasure is all on the side of the camera. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, too, and appreciate you having me. Yeah, anytime. Well, Next time the Celtics have a more consequential pick, we can uh, we can chew even more fat on that. Hopefully they trade into it or something. We'll have more fun with that. Exactly. You'll be our first phone call. Cool. All right. It, thanks guys. again, Brian. Yeah. Easy. So thanks again to Brian Kalbrowski from For the Win and Hoops Hype. I really mean it. He makes us sound more knowledgeable than we are about all things NBA draft. Let's just do the news and kind of recap where the Celtics are at and where the Celtics are at is close to the mountaintop. I mean, few teams have it <laughs> as good as Celtics fans right now. Since we last chatted, nice win in Golden State. They had that smart play where Curry was collateral damage. And I don't think anyone who seriously likes basketball thought it was dirty. Justin's nodding in agreement for the non-YouTube crowd. Uh, pretty good game. I mean, Steph went out, so who knows if it was a really consequential win, but big win nonetheless. Then they just went into Sacramento and destroyed the Kings. Uh, Pritchard in particular, 14-5-8, he looked great. And then most recently Sunday night in Denver, the Celtics took on perhaps the future MVP, Nikola Jokic, and just blew their barn doors off. They won 124 to 104, but it wasn't even that close. Another huge game for the PP. Justin Quinn, what do you think of that Denver win or anything else you've seen from the Celtics? Uh, the Denver win really, truly, completely cemented in my mind that resistance is futile. I need to stop resisting the idea that this team is going to bite me. You know, I'm scarred. <laughs> Many of us have been scarred by the first half of the season and the season before that and the season before that. But, you know, knock on uh, cellulose or some other vague facsimile thereof, it does seem that we do have a real, you know, bona fide contender here on our hands. Uh, they beat the pants off the Nuggets so hard that we actually saw the Popovich happen. When I say mm -hmm. that, I mean Mike Malone benched his starters. We're not trying hard enough. But the thing is, is I, I don't think they weren't trying hard enough. I, I think they effort. were trying about as hard as they could, and they just weren't having any success against that defense. Now, they do have the same problem that the Celtics had early in the season and that they were really leaning way too hard on Jokic. But mm -hmm. that said, uh, you know, when you have the ultimate crime stopper on your team, it's hard to get anything going. Of course, you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not sure that I buy into it yet, so I'm not acknowledging it. <laughs> Batman? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. It's a terrible, terrible. You can't make your own nickname. Grant Williams would like I to be called you, Batman. I think you can, but well, let's get into it. Well, the one thing I just want to say is okay. I. it's a regular season game. Anything can happen. And the Nuggets are not the Nuggets from last year. I mean, Jokic is an MVP, but the Murray, they don't have... Um, Porter Jr. It's, it's just like n not a um, analogous comparison to like beating last year's Denver team. That said, 
Jokic was in prison. They just made life miserable for him. And that has been a theme for the Celtics team that I really enjoy, that the best players really are not playing particularly well against the Celtics. So it's one thing if that defense is real against like the Magic on a Tuesday. It's another thing when you take Embiid and you take Jokic and you really mess them up. So to the extent to which we shouldn't get too excited, some elements of that have been super exciting. I mean, the offense going supernova is phenomenal. We'll talk about Pritchard in a second, but the defense specifically on the best players in the game is really cool. Um, I remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the month of March and we said, could the Celtics win in a seven game series? And we said there's seven playoff teams in that stretch. They got to win at least four. That's how maybe the thought experiment works and whether or not that that thought experiment is valid, it looks like they could win a seven game series. So yeah, the paradigm has been shifting that this is perhaps a contender and I don't know that anything could happen down the stretch to change that narrative or really change that in like my heart of hearts, but maybe next week I'll change my tune. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can do the Batman thing now. Anything you wanted to add to your take before I offer mine? Uh, I mean there, I guess maybe you can do, if you can capture the zeitgeist, as I have said elsewhere, uh, and really distill your own essence in a way that you usually can't in a way that sticks in the NBA, then, then maybe, you know, maybe if we we constantly see Grant Williams stopping Nikola Jokic, then you, you can say he's a, a joker stopper. But uh, for now, I'm I'm in the same camp as uh, I'm going to call him Grant, just like Tatum. Yeah, Tatum said I'm not calling him Batman. Uh, Brown brought it up in his press conference. So anyone who's super confused, Grant was part of why Jokic had such a tough game Sunday night against the Celtics. I guess he told. Uh, Jalen Brown to tell the media that he wants to call Batman from now on because that is the kryptonite to the Joker and uh, not to mix DC superhero analogies, apparently. It's um, not Marvel, huh? Yeah. Same side of the street. Uh, Tatum was not having it. There's been something of a uh, social media push to your point. It's not, it's not like, uh, that I have to call them daddy. Who's your daddy? Big poppy. It's not like you're going to play Joker a number of times anytime soon. So I don't know how that organically could happen, but if Grant hits a big three against the jazz coming up or against the bucks coming up and Gorman said, instead of yelling, got it, yells the, the, the Batman or something. I could see maybe. it happening. Maybe. However, Mike Gorman is old enough as I am, as maybe many of our listeners are to remember Tony Batie, who was Batman and I've said this before. I think Dwight Howard is a loser because he just like took Shaq's nickname and Shaq's like, what the hell are you doing? Tony Batia is not Shaquille O'Neal, but if he stood up wherever he is in the world and said, hey, I'm the Batman, uh, I think Grant Williams would have to quietly uh, close his mouth. Over on Twitter at Celtics Lab, we have a poll going where we posed, are you down with the cause? And last I checked, I'm going to double check right now. It was a split decision. You know, right now, as of this recording, yeah, the question is, is Grant Williams' new nickname Batman? The plurality of people have said no. Uh, a strong group have said yes. And about 8% of people have said Tony Petit. So 
Does he have a nickname? I am not aware of Grant actually having a nickname. So, I mean, he does. I think he does. He, Hold on. What is it? What is Grant? This is compelling. It's something stupid. <laughs> excuse me. Your excuse. The general. The general. Oh, yeah. Now I remember. Yeah, that's actually kind of also bad. But anyway. Grant Grant is maybe with a, with a three. Mm. So, ah, yeah. Not crazy, but either. The Batman thing is cute. If it happens, it happens. I'm not like offended by it, but I'm not sticking up for it. One thing that I really want to become a thing is the Jason Tatum kiss of death, which we talked about last time we were with Alex, I think. And odds that the kiss of death becomes a signature move for Tatum, uh, Dr. Quinn, and could it come back to bite him? It could definitely come back to bite him. Uh, I would not recommend doing it until you are under the five minute mark of the fourth quarter. Uh, just because, man, is that going to play poorly in retrospect if you drop it and collapse, which, you know, as we have discussed uh, on this show, we don't expect to happen anymore, but we do have a history of this team with only a few changes, very important changes, but still would suck. Uh, how do you feel about Smart doing it? Smart did it pretty recently. Should it be a, a pan Celtics thing or should it just be Tatum who does it? It'd be really cool if it was Tatum. I'm not against it being a Celtics thing. However, that ups the ante of it being like, act like you've been there. Because yes, Dame Lillard didn't win the, um, the title that year, but the bye-bye thing to OKC, unbelievably iconic and he earned that moment. However, things like John Wall jumping up on the scores table or the Sixers dropping confetti early, being a little too chesty when you can't back it up is really embarrassing. And not to take too much wind out of their sails, Tate's 24 and Brown's 25. Like they, historically, they're not going to win the title. So maybe they should be careful with it because if yes, game winner, big moment down the stretch, certainly in the postseason, it could become kind of a, a moment, but if they get a little a big for their britches and just like use it to use it, that that would first of all show their age, but also be disappointing. Anyways, that was <laughs> we're such wet blankets. Um, let's I mean, end up. Did Gino you know? time ever get played and then they lose? I don't think so. As long as they approach it with a similar mentality, similar time frame, I think they're gonna be okay. What if they'll bring back Gino time? Maybe. I've heard I've heard conflicting uh, positions on that. Some people are like, "That's that's KG's thing; it should stay KG's thing." As long as he's okay with it, I don't see a problem. I mean, they do; they have used it, you know, here and there. Yeah, once it's season, nice, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I would like for them to have their own thing as well. Uh, I just don't know if this is going to be it. Fair so let's instead of being a little pessimistic, maybe let's be optimistic. We have players that might win. Do you get a trophy if you make all NBA? I was going to say hardware. Do you get a trophy? You must, right? Sure, you do. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we put yeah, players for for coach of the month. I can imagine if it's for the whole season, you better get something. Well, to that end, so Tatum was just named Player of the Week third time this season, second time in the month of March, and only Larry Bird has ever done three times in a season. I don't know if they get a. Maybe they get like a coupon or something for player of the week, but it's a nice honor. Good job, Jason Tatum. However, and Brian uh, teased this in the first half of the podcast, it's very possible Jason Tatum is all NBA bound. And because all NBA is still positional, he has a good chance to 
maybe jump the ranks a little bit. If the season ended today or he kept up this level of play, do you think he makes an all-NBA team? I think it would be a travesty if he didn't make all-NBA at some level. I I think there's a very good case that he should be first team the way he's been playing in the second half of the season. I realize it is a full-season award, but recency bias is definitely a thing, and I think it's going to get him over the finish line to first team for for the season. Yeah, and... It might politically be LeBron, and if LeBron wins the scoring title, he might deserve it, even if there are questions about whether or not those are empty calories. They're empty calories. Yeah, they're empty calories, I know. Uh, And putting Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic first team might make more sense if that can feasibly be done. Because if you look at the numbers, Tatum is, I don't know, like sixth and the MVP ladder, and he probably has having something like the sixth best season. So if he has another 50-point game, if he has a game winner, if, if he puts his foot on the gas and LeBron sits for a little bit or Giannis fades a little bit or Durant doesn't pick it up as well, I think he could make first team. Second team seems a, a little more reasonable, but again, like if it goes – LeBron at the three on the first team and Durant at the three at the second team. He could be, I could see him being third or out if uh, a few things break. So he is an, an all NBA caliber player, but because of the nuances of the award, I'm not ready to say for sure that he's going to get it. Um, I guess we are about blankets again. That wasn't what this was supposed to be. <laughs> what well, about? You got a point. I mean, particularly if we see LeBron break the all-time scoring record this season, it's going to be very hard to suggest that at his age with that kind of an accomplishment, that not dragging the Lakers into serious playoff contention is enough of a ding. But in my personal opinion, it's very hard to see someone having an all-NBA season that isn't making their team better enough. And that may just be too much to ask for him at this point in his career, even as amazing what he is doing is. Yeah, fair. I mean, I think it's more likely that Tatum becomes all NBA than it is that Grant Williams' nickname becomes Batman for good. Uh, finally, there's a lot of chatter on Rob Williams and Marcus Smart uh, possibly being nominated Defensive Player of the Year and winning for that matter. If you had to pick between the two, which would you pick? And do you think either of them really does have a case? Smart has the bigger defensive impact. There are still enough mistakes in Rob's game that I don't really, 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 really think that he deserves the award this season. He should be in the conversation, absolutely, but he's just not quite there. I think he's got another season to come for that. Uh, And then we have a historical bias that we've discussed ad nauseum on every podcast out there about how big men have not won it since, I think it was Gary Payton. The guards haven't won it since. Yeah. Big love. English. I used to teach it. Anyway, uh, yeah, so normally I would say that that's pretty much an automatic disqualifier, but there has been a fairly large amount of chatter uh, from from a lot of different sources that suggest that people might actually vote for him for the award enough this year that he could reasonably win it. I think he should. I would love to see. I don't think it should just be a big man award. I think it just should just be a separate award for big men if they're only going to give it to big men constantly because the backcourt, as he pointed out earlier this season, 
has a very hard job defensively and should be getting their flowers too, at least sometimes. So if this season of Marcus Smart isn't good enough, I, I can't recall a yeah. good season that would be in the running. That's such a good frame for it. Yeah, Rob Williams does the Rudy Gobert thing where he's kind of like a quasi-free safety in the paint. Uh, but either he's a little too young or he just won't get there. That he, I mean, Rudy Gobert is criminally underrated, at least defensively. Um, maybe Rob will get there. I don't, I don't think yet, although the leap that he has made, he could be most improved if players like John Morant didn't somehow win that as well. Rudy probably deserves it, but that's this small market fallacy where we're just not talking about the jazz in the same way. They're not, they're not as good as they've been in recent seasons, but Gobert has been lights out defensively. And I, so I do think among uh, people in the know, Gobert, it's his to lose Draymond Green. If he closes close out the season strong, just like the narrative is there because he, he has been playing like a defensive player of the year. Um, when he's been playing. When he's been playing, I would say Marcus Smart defensively, the impact, even if it's statistically not the same as Gobert or Green uh, emotionally is right there. So same thing as Tatum. If like the season ends with a few big spots on a specifically a national TV where Marcus Smart does Marcus Smart stuff that could, that could move the needle, but he's certainly right there. Um, so we'll, we'll put a pin in it and I guess we'll have to come back to it, but it's not, none of these optimistic takes that we had a few weeks ago are aging poorly. The, if anything, the, the optimism grows. So we have a lot of exciting Celtics basketball in the next few weeks and into the postseason. Make sure that you have liked and subscribed to this podcast to never miss an episode of the Celtics Lab. Thanks again to betonline.ag and thanks again to our friend Brian Kolbraski for coming on earlier in the show. We'll see you all later.